You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. All right, so um, we're going to do something a little different for the next few weeks, and Chris is going to help me. We're going to take some short books of the Bible, uh, some books of the Bible that you could probably read in 10, 15 minutes if you really wanted to, and we're going to spend one Sunday on each one of them. And, and, and listen, we believe in this place that all Scripture is God-breathed. Okay, it's from God. It's, it's, it's originated from God. God inspired it. And all Scripture has purpose. All Scripture is useful. And so we're trying to figure out how to use what Scripture for what, but we believe it all matters. We also believe that the Bible is like a double-edged sword. It's sharp, and it can show you things that you need to see. It can reveal things like God can do amazing things through Scripture. And let me say this. You don't need a formula for scripture for God to speak to you. Matter of fact, how many of us have just opened the Bible and there was a word from God, right? And, and so that, that happens and, and God is good and gracious. But I don't think that that should be, the Bible also says meditate, meditate on the law. And so I don't think the responsible reading of scripture is simply to go every day, open the point to something and look for something for yourself. When you do that, you end up with verses like Jeremiah 29, 11. And they become your like foundational verse for your life. Uh, can anyone in this room quote for me Jeremiah 29, 11? Now, can you quote it in a voice where someone can hear you? <laughs> say it loud. Go ahead. Say it. I know the plans I have for you. I, I know the, oh, oh, I got you back. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Okay, and we take that and we make it our Bible verse, we tattoo it on our heads or whatever. And, and the issue with that is, if you know the context around that verse, you know that God was asking a people to wait for 70 years in captivity before he did these things. So if that's going to be your foundational verse, I suggest you get patient. <laughs> right? And, but, but because we don't, we just don't take the time to really learn. And so, and so... The other thing is this, guys. When we go to the Bible, we're always looking for a word for ourselves, and that is good, and God wants to speak a word to you. But the Bible was meant to be interpreted inside of community and read. As a matter of fact, the first Bible, it was passed down through oral tradition. And when they would read, one of the reasons it says you must speak aloud and declare with your mouth and all this is because the Bible was meant to be read out loud. They read these things out loud inside of community. And so the, your experience with Scripture was a communal event. And we've sort of lost some of that. And so here's what I want to do for the next few weeks. Not only are we going to break down some books of the Bible and we're going to learn some things. But I think one of the main things over the next two weeks is I want to give you a rhythm for how to reach, how to read the Bible. A rhythm for how to approach the Bible. And um, let me say this nicely. Rhythm is not our strong suit in this room. Okay, I've noticed that. Let me tell you how I've noticed. Oftentimes the band will be like, you know, the tambourine person usually starts it, and they want us to clap, right? And so people in the room will be clapping, and my mom and dad aren't in this service, so I'll make fun of them. They've been married for 72 years, okay? They still don't clap on the same rhythm when they're clapping. One's clapping, the other's clapping. The other's clapping. It's like, and so I look out, and what I see is a group of people who need rhythm. So as we go through this series... I'm going to teach you some rhythm. And here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a way to approach the Bible, and I'm going to set it to 4-4 four, four time. And if you're musical, like me, you know 
you know what 4-4 four, four time is. So let me just, let, let me give you an example. Are you ready? Hold on. Uh, oh no. Uh, hold. Uh, okay, there we go. Are you all ready? Okay, so here's your rhythm for how to read the Bible. You're going to open your Bible and you're going to do this. <clears throat> Them. Him. We. Me. You got that? Did you all hear that? Okay, maybe some of you are sopranos. Let me, let me help you over here. Okay, you ready? Them. Him. We. Me. Are y'all getting this? Here, let, let's, all, let's all participate together. You ready? Everyone is going to do it together. Y'all ready? Here we go. Them. Him. We. Me. Yes. Yes. This is the most rhythmic our church has ever been. I feel so free. Oh, that was gorgeous, guys. So, so that, take that rhythm, and next week we're going to do something fun with it to make it stick in your brain. It's going to be super cool. And, but this is the rhythm by which we are going to approach Scripture. We are going to learn a responsible reading of Scripture. Now, again, I don't ever want to take away that desperate moment where you go to the Bible and God speaks the Word. But every moment isn't a desperate moment, right? And then there's times we need to read responsibly, and so that's what we're going to learn to do. So when we say them, what are we talking about? I feel like Clarissa. Dun, 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 dun. All right, when I say them, here's what we're talking about. Two things you need to remember when it comes to them. Context and characters. So when you first go to a book of the Bible, you're looking for context and characters. What is going on? Who's in the story? What's their world like? Because I, I need to remind y'all, although this book was written for you, it was not written to you. And so the first thing we do when we're beginning to understand the book of the Bible is we immerse ourselves in their context. We want to know what was going on in their world. And the book of the Bible we're going to do today is a book called Philemon. If you have your Bibles, open it up. Maybe, maybe you've heard it called Philemon. Uh, maybe you've heard it called Philemon. Uh, maybe you've heard it called Philemon. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> That's all Anne's joke. It doesn't matter what you call it. You can call it Philly. It, it just doesn't matter because the truth is he's not going to be offended. So, and, and we don't really know. Like the most common pronunciation I saw was Philemon, but that's not the most common one I've heard. Through, so I don't know. But open to there. We're going to spend some time in there. And the first thing we want to do is say, okay, what is going on here? And, and when I do this, I don't just pull from my brain uh, the first place I'm looking for context is scripture, but the other thing I do is I go to commentaries, and throw that up there for me. This is a list of commentaries, and I would love for you guys to get your phones out real quick, take a picture of this. If you desire to study the Bible, please take a picture of this list of commentaries over here, over here. Um, I am from an Armenian or Wesleyan background. Uh, theologically, but these are from all different, these are from Baptist backgrounds and all sorts of different backgrounds. And so this covers a great uh, swath of understanding. That's a word, right? And so I, 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 think, I think having these will help. But as we dive into this book, here's, here's what we can see. We know there's a guy named Paul, and Paul's writing the book. Actually, Paul is with Timothy because it starts with that. So what we believe Paul typically did was Paul would dictate to Timothy and Timothy would write. So we believe that Paul and Timothy are there. Then we know in this book there is a dude named uh, Philemon. And Philemon is a slave owner. And we know that from the book of Acts. You can go back to the book of Acts and see this stuff. 
And we know that Philemon has a slave, and the slave's name is Onesimus. And so those are four things we know about this book. We also know that in our time, the idea of slavery is horrific, and it is repulsive. And if it's not horrific and repulsive for you, you should repent, because it, it is. But in their time, slavery was completely common. No one, had ev- no one questioned it. As a matter of fact, in the Roman Empire alone, there were 60 million slaves. And they were treated harshly. And why were they treated harshly? Because if 60 million people start to revolt, you've got a problem on your hands. So the slave owner had complete power and authority over the slave. The slave was his property. God, this was just, as crazy as this is, this was their world, and we have to understand this. So we know that. So we're, getting, now we're beginning to paint a picture here. We also know that Paul and his people met in home churches. That they, instead of meeting in a big building like this, and they might have done this had they had the opportunity, but they didn't. So they, I don't think they ever would have forsaken this coming together in homes, but they met in homes in small groups, um, and that's how they met. And we know that Paul had authority. Paul had authority over these small groups. If he, t- he would often command them. Y'all remember this from, from other books, from Ephesians? He would command them to do things, and they were supposed to do it. So we take all of this information, and we begin to look and see, okay, what is happening in this book. And did y'all know that across the history of time, people have used the Bible to actually advocate for slavery? You can't do that if you really immerse yourself in context and character and then read the story. Watch this. Uh, Philemon, verse 15. You don't need to say chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Philemon 15 says, For perhaps it was for this reason that he, so he's writing to This is Paul writing to Philemon saying, perhaps it's for this reason that Onesimus was separated from you because Onesimus has run away. So Philemon owns a slave. The slave Onesimus has run away and encountered Paul. Paul's now writing to Philemon and saying, it was for this reason, perhaps, that you were separated for a while and that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me. How much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If you understand the context, then you understand the magnitude of this verse. That Paul is saying, Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. I want you to receive him not as a slave, but as a brother. As a matter of fact, you were one flesh. Guys, this is this is groundbreaking, earth-shaking things that Paul is saying. People say the Bible uh, promotes you know, uh, hatred towards women. Not true. Read the thread. It is groundbreaking theology of freedom and equality. Same thing with slavery. The reason, one of the main reasons slavery was abolished was the movement of Christianity. Were the words of Christ. And so when you begin to understand how amazingly ahead of its times this comment is, you see what God is doing. You see what's happening. But in order to see that, you have to understand space and time and context and characters. And then as we begin to get our feet you know, acclimated in their world, as we begin to understand context and characters, then we can move on to the second one. Does anyone know what the second one is? Remember? Him. You should do this after every time so you stay on beat. Him. 
And when we begin to look at him, here's what we're looking for, and this one's fun. And notice I'm not to me yet. I'm at him because now I want to know the heart of God. I want to say, all right, now that I understand the context and the characters, what does this passage tell me about the heart of God? And I don't want to make assumptions on God's heart or character based on one little line from one verse. Instead, because I am studying the whole Bible, I want to see threads. I want to see see passages that run together. And so as I begin to look at this book in the light of other books, I begin to see things about God come together. And one of the things I begin to see is that God wants us to treat each other with equality. The, the, the old song, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. I think that song is true. And guys, there are still people today using scripture to say things like a person of this color shouldn't date a person of that color. And if you are saying that, you are misrepresenting the heart of God. That is an ignorant reading of scripture. And I'm using strong language on purpose because it's embarrassing. We cannot make statements like that. Our God is a God who brings together. We are far more concerned about the little divisions in the world than God is. To him, we are sons and daughters. He sees us and wants us united. And so to use scripture for something, it's not right. If you're going to be honest about it, just say, I'm prejudiced and this is the way I feel. But don't say scripture says it because that's just not true. And as you begin to dive in, you begin to see what God's heart is for us. It's a heart of of a system where laws are changed, not always through legislation, but through the changing of hearts, where God works inside of people, not always inside the systems of this world, not always through political parties, but God works in the hearts of people to transform people and transform the world. This is Paul, God working through Paul, through the heart of Philemon to eradicate this idea of inequality inside of him. You see this? This is the heart of the Father for his people. That we would love each other. That we would care for each other. And of course there's also a reoccurring theme in here of the fact that God will let his people suffer. God will allow suffering to happen. And so there's a reoccurring theme in here of this whole idea of, you know, I'm blessed and I've got everything and and that means God loves me. That's not biblical. You can be blessed and and, and broke. Um, You can be blessed and in prison. You can be blessed in dying of cancer. Guys, that's just the reality of Scripture. We live in a broken world, and pain is not an indicator of the absence of God. Faith in pain is an indicator of His presence. Listen to this verse. It's verse 8. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you. So this is Paul saying to to Philemon. He said, I could tell you to do this because I'm Paul. But for love's sake, for love's sake... I rather appeal to you, since I'm such a person as Paul, and I'm an old man, and now I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Let this let humanity sink in as we read this. Paul is in a Roman prison. We know that from our study. He's in a Roman prison. He's writing this letter. And that verse 9 right there, take that and humanize it. He's writing a letter to his friend Philemon. And he says, I could tell you to do it, man. I I could tell you to do it. I could tell you to receive the slave as your brother. But I'm old. And I'm tired. And I just want you to do what's right because it's right. 
just want you to do it out of love. I mean, can you hear that? I, I, dude, do you know what I've been through? I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been whipped. I've been in chains. And now I'm in prison again. Will you just do what's right? Please don't make me tell you to do it. This is how I feel when I'm telling my kid to do something. Do you clean your room? I'm just tired. <laughs> For the love. Don't make me threaten you. You see the dirt. But I think we're, we're seeing this. Paul is in prison. And over and over, twice in this book, twice in, in one chapter, we see Paul say, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was a prisoner of the Romans. But yet Paul offers every situation to Christ. And by the way, I'm not 100% sure Paul couldn't have asked and the chains would have fallen off. He couldn't have walked out those doors because we've seen it happen. But in this moment, Paul says, I'm a prisoner here for Christ Jesus, that everything I have would be used for the glory of God. And that is the approach God wants from us, from his people. Not that we would blame him or run from him, but that even in our most difficult circumstances, we would turn to God and say, God, I know you're still with me and I hate this circumstance, but I'll use it for you. That's the heart of the father for his children. And so there's definitely a word about God and his heart in here. And there, there's more. I've just, we're at the tip of the iceberg, guys. There's more. And as we move from that one, we move to the third one. Any remember what the third one is? We. Right? We, we, we. I shot a hog yesterday, and he went home, and I figured that's what he was saying. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> kind of true. <laughs> I guess that's what he said. I don't know. He left. Um, all right, so, so now we're to we. Now we're to we. And I know, I know you want to get to you because I want to get to This is the way you read the Bible. All right, go, what about me and you? What about me and you? And he's going, I'm going I'm to take you there, my son, my daughter. I'm going to take you there. But first, I want to take you to know me better. And then I want to take you to see the church better. And, and then we're going to get to us in a second. But when we go to we, we're looking at, does God have a word for the church today? Does God have a word for us? A collective word for the body of Christ. As these books would have been read communally, inside of community, and interpreted, does God have a word for us? And I think he has several. Verse 9, it says, or excuse me, verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. So this is Paul writes to Philemon and says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Then he makes a very interesting statement. Whom I fathered in my imprisonment. Who previously was useless to you but is now useful to both me and you. Okay, let's, now let's just say we pluck this one out of context. Whom I fathered in my imprisonment, are we to believe that Onesimus is the result of a conjugal visit for Paul? Hmm? I, don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. Rather, here's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying is, while I was in prison, I encountered Onesimus, and I led him to Christ, and now he is my son. I think we're talking about spiritual adoption. And I think the word for the church is this, that you and I aren't simply strangers passing on Sundays, but that we are meant to be family with one another, that we're meant to belong to one another. And keep in mind, it's difficult with 800 people, but that's why we have small groups, so that you find a family, so that everyone here is in a family, so that you are known and loved by someone, and you are my sister now, and you are my brother now. And Guys, I have one mom, to my knowledge. I have one. I have one mom. But there are multiple women in this place who I call mama. 
Sherry Wilcox is one. I call her mama. And it's because she and I have, have a love for each other that goes beyond friendship. We have a love for each other. It's, 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 she is like a mother to me, and I am like a son to her. And that is the way it is supposed to be inside of the body of Christ. That we would find people that we're so close with that there's a bond that seems different than anything else. A unique, mysterious bond created by the love of God. I think we can find a word for us in that. By the way, interestingly enough, the name Paul says, Onesimus is profitable to you, to you now because he's profitable to me. It's interesting, isn't it? Let me, a little, Paul's doing a little word play. Oni, y'all know what the name Onesimus means? Profitable, useful. That's what it means. So he's like, this guy named profitable is now profitable to both of us. And why is he profitable now? Why, why would he be profitable to Philemon now? He's profitable to Philemon because he's profitable to Paul. And so the lesson is, what's good for me is good for you inside the body of Christ. What harms you harms me. And what, what, what brings us honor brings us all honor. This, again, is a question of uh, we're bound together. Second thing I think we see is this. This, this is a good one, too. It's in verse uh, 14. It says, but I did not want to do anything without your consent. Okay, so. Paul's writing to Philemon, who he can say, do it, because tell, I'm telling you, he's got the authority. But he says, I don't want to do anything without your consent, so that your goodness would not be, in effect, by compulsion, but of your own free will. Why is he doing that? Here, here's why I believe he's doing that. Because had Paul commanded Philemon to do it, Paul would have received the blessing. Who's the hero in the story if Paul says, hey, receive this slave like your brother and you do it? Who's the hero? The hero is Paul. Who's the hero if Onesimus does it of his own free will? I mean, if Philemon does it of his own free will. If Philemon does it out of love, not out of compulsion, then Philemon receives the blessing. Inside of the body of Christ, we aren't to argue and bicker about authority and titles and all this stuff. We are simply supposed to elevate each other so that we can all receive blessings. We, we give each other the blessings. We step back and we give someone else the blessing because maybe just, maybe it's not just about me. And that's what life should look like inside the body of Christ. How can I elevate you? How can you be blessed? Even if that means I receive less. And when that happens, when we decrease, the body increases. I think we see a consistent theme. And let, me, let me one more quick thing in here. Verse, um, verse 15. So... So what Paul is saying to Philemon right here is that, I'll just read it. For perhaps it was for this reason that he was separated from you for a while and that you would have him back forever. Leave that one up there for me. Now, I believe Paul thinks he has a word from God here because he's talking to Philemon about the slave being gone. And he says, perhaps there's a reason. And what Paul is wanting to do is to get uh, Philemon to understand the, the spiritual side behind what's going on here. But Paul doesn't go to Philemon and say, I have a word from God for you. Instead, he says, perhaps, based on what I've seen in my time with God and my prayers, and my, perhaps this is what God is saying in that situation. Guys, this happens so, and I hear it so often. Someone will come and say, I've got a word from God, I have a word from God, I have a word. Who verified that word from God? I mean, just, just be careful saying that. I think a more winsome way, to, and I'm not saying you don't have a word from God. You may very well have a word, which, yes. 
But when you say, hey, this is what I want you to do, and I've got a word from God, you've elevated that word with Scripture. Be careful with that. Instead, maybe a more winsome way to approach this inside the body of Christ is, hey, perhaps, perhaps this is what God is doing in this situation. Perhaps this is what God is saying. I just think there's a way to approach things with each other that may be um, a little more, just better. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. All right. Here, here's the last one. So what we go, we go them, him, we, me. So what's the last one? Me. And so finally, you remember that this is not an intellectual pursuit. This is the voice of God that I might be transformed. This is, this is the king of the universe who, can, who knows all of my thoughts, all of my sins, all of my emotions, all of my feelings, and he's peering into my very heart and preparing to transform me by speaking a word. And so God spoke a word to me as I read this, as I asked. I said, God, okay, now what do you want from me? And I'm not going to share that with you because it's not for you. It's for me. There was a word between me and God. I'll give you a hint. It had to do with the fact that the story doesn't say it, but there is an inference in this story that Onesimus goes back. He was free. He'd run away. He'd made it. And so although Paul is cool in this story and Philemon is cool in this story, the dude who returns to potential slavery out of pure faith in God and faith in his fellow brothers in Christ I think God may be pushing me into some new worlds that may require a little more faith. But that's between me and God. The beauty of this fourth thing is it can be different for every single person in the room. God can speak a word to you, unique for you. The God who knows how many stars are in the sky knows you. And he knows where you're at. But we don't st let's no longer start the Bible study with, okay, what does this mean to you? Let's end the Bible study with that. Let's start with understanding context and character. And then let's move to what is the heart of God. And then let's talk about how does this affect us all. And then, when you've done all those things, ask for a transformative word for your own life. Remember that God is breathing. And to receive that is to be changed. Believe that God has something special for you and you alone. There are many, many moments to go to the Bible in desperation. But the daily responsible reading is bigger than just me. Shall I do it one more time just to make sure it sticks? <laughs> me thinks I will. <laughs> Them. Him. We. Me. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.